Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a complimentary resource for those on the road to recovery. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I've got both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt, a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I have endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmune-paleo.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. This podcast is sponsored by the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, our co-authored guide to living well with chronic illness. We saw the need for a comprehensive resource that goes beyond nutrition to connect savvy patients just like you to the resources they need to achieve vibrant health. Through the use of self-assessments, checklists, handy guides, and templates, you get to experience the joy of discovery, finding out which areas to prioritize on your healing journey. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hey everybody, Mickey here, and welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. If you're here, you know that we are right in the middle of our second season, um, sharing with you guys a series of Q&A and interview. Um, Today, because we've got both Angie and I on the line, we are doing a Q&A episode. Um, We're going to answer some of your guys' questions. Um, But first, I'd love to hear from Angie how she's doing this week. Uh, Hey, everybody. I am doing good. Uh, I just got done having a little timeout week. I put myself in timeout and had to do a bunch of regrouping so that I could um, like keep my head on my shoulders and uh, figure out how to do all the things that I do. Um, so I'm actually feeling a lot better this week for taking that time. How are you, Mickey? I'm feeling a lot better now that you (laughs) had a timeout. Because I I got a timeout too. It was a a really nice reminder that we both needed to slow down. And I wasn't thinking about slowing down until you were like, I can't this week. I was like, you know what? I can't either. Yeah. If you work in partnership, uh, if one of you is losing it, the other one will be impacted. (laughs) Totally. Totally. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good after the weekend. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, before we get to these listener questions, um, going on our theme that we started last time we did one of these, um, we're going to ask each other a question. So Angie, my question for you this week is what is one thing that we get asked all the time that sometimes you just can't wrap your head around where all of the confusion comes from? (laughs) Okay. Um, well, there's, there's probably, there's probably like a couple areas to explore here. One that comes to the top of my mind right away is um, kind of the misconception that AIP is a no sugar protocol. Um, that comes up pretty often. I see it especially, you know, in my group program because there's like high volume of people going through there. I get to be exposed to this really often. Um, and you know, it's, it's a very low sugar protocol for sure. It's nowhere near what a standard American diet has, not even in the same like ballpark, not even on the same continent, um, in terms of, of, uh, sugar intake. But, you know, like people will say like, 
I thought I couldn't eat any fruit because there's sugar. And, uh, you know, if there's, if they see a paleo treat recipe, they're like, I thought we couldn't eat maple syrup or, you know, of course we're not encouraging everybody to go out and like drink a gallon of it or anything, but a very small amount of sugar is totally within, within bounds for the, for the protocol. Yeah. And don't you think sometimes when people ask this, they're like, angry like like yeah they they have there's like these anti-sugar people which you know sugar you know especially if you're someone that has a history of like the blood sugar thing like we're not saying sugar is like the best thing ever but sometimes when people write in they'll be like i am so disappointed i thought that this was sugar free you should know better and it's just like uh i mean you know a little treat uh, in moderation, after dinner, in the context of a balanced meal, you know, usually brings a lot of people happiness. So, you know. Right. You know, the the point, as always, I think we've said this many, many times now, but the point of this protocol is not to burden our hearts and minds. It's to heal, you know. And if you feel like you can never enjoy a small treat and, you know, have a celebration with your family or, you know, uh, have a, have something special over a holiday, you know, if there's no option for that, it's not going to be sustainable in real life and the, it, you won't be able to heal. Agreed. So. A little, a little bit, a little bit of balance there. Okay, so I have a question for you, Mickey. If there was one question that you wish we would be asked more often, what would it be? Like, do you think that there's some underexplored facets of AIP? You know, one thing I haven't really been asked very often that I actually think is a really interesting thing about my experience is just how my relationships uh, with you know, my friends and with my family and even, you know, my relationship to the world, like my career, what I do, how that has all changed. Um, as I undertook the autoimmune protocol, I mean, it's kind of one of those things like defining moments in your life. I think when you have a health crisis and and you decide to embark on something that is going to, you know, help you feel better and empowered and in control, I think that those changes kind of ripple out. And, you know, people don't really talk about it, you know, and there's bad, I I think, or hard parts about that. Like, you know, when I was diagnosed, I had been vegan for a very long time. I had a lot of friends who were in the vegan vegetarian community. And um, I had a lot of friends who weren't vegan that, you know, I worked with. And when I started eating different and was sick all the time and was kind of not that fun to be around because, you know, I needed a lot of support. Uh, a lot of these people just kind of disappeared out of my life. And, um, it sounds kind of sad, but what ended up happening was I connected with a lot of incredible people and almost made, almost a whole new group of friends that I feel like get me on a level and, you know, we're close, like you and I, Angie, are close on a way that, you know, I I don't get that with a lot of people. So I don't know, a lot of that has changed. And I think that's something that, you know, I haven't really been asked about. And I don't know, then, you know, changing your whole life, you you just have a different outlook on life when you have one of those, you know, kind of uh, life-changing moments. It's almost like a going to college or like getting married, like a big, um, 
a big event in your life, but it's unexpected, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a little bit of a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> in you, my world. And in that moment, you know, you have the opportunity to change anything you want and some things have to change and some things, you know, that you never would have changed. Like I probably would not have changed my career, um, but I was there and there was the opportunity and I went for it, you know, and for a lot of people that happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ah, good answer, Mickey. Sweet. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, now let's get on to tackling some questions from our audience. We have um, a few different topics today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about weight loss um, on the autoimmune protocol, pregnancy, some macronutrients, um, and some, a question about coffee. So um, Tina asks, I have been strict full AIP for eight months. I have alopecia and have been trying to heal this. The good news is my hair is growing back. Yay, side note, Tina, that's awesome to hear. Um, Bad news is I'm losing too much weight. Instead of white potatoes, I eat sweet potatoes, swede, squash, plantains, and parsnips, but I'm still losing weight. I additionally eat one avocado each morning with my breakfast. I eat three large meals a day, and I mean large, but I'm still dropping weight. What do you think could be the cause, and how could I put some weight on? Hmm. So it sounds to me like uh, Tina is doing a lot of things that we would probably recommend, right? Like she's trying to get in some carbs and she's working on getting in more fat when she can. She's having, you know, pretty big servings of food. Um, I would be wondering if she could add in even still a little more fat. So that's kind of the first step. Make sure you're eating more fat. Um, you know, ways to do this beyond the avocados are, you know, roasting your vegetables in coconut oil, um, maybe trying to drizzle a little olive oil on, on just about everything you're eating. I drizzle olive oil on everything you can imagine. Um, maybe trying to work in some, um, fat bombs or some full fat coconut milk into things. Um, then of course, maybe going a little bit further with the carbs, even getting into some of the um, like high glucose fruits because you need a little bit of insulin response to store fat in the body. Um, So maybe like bananas, pineapples, um, apricots, plums, prunes, grapes, raisins, figs, dates, you know, these like really sugary um, kinds of, of starchy carb sources. And then, She's kind of already working on the on the starchy vegetables, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And then probably last is not to forget the protein. Um, I would wonder how much protein she's eating per day. Maybe if, if, she, if it's not enough, maybe bumping that up a little bit. And then in terms of lifestyle, making sure she's getting enough rest and managing her stress. Um, unmanaged stress can be a problem here with weight. Yeah. Another thing that I would think of too is, you know, this is kind of the opposite that we tell anyone who is having trouble losing weight on AIP or even, um, like a general AIP advice. Um, so for any of you who are, you know, don't want to gain weight or healthy weight, ignore this, but this is a case where smoothies might be helpful, yeah. you know, especially That's I was going with the full fat coconut. Milk. Yeah. You know, especially between meals, you know, trying to get in some snacks. She says she's eating three large meals a day. Um, there have been periods where I really needed to gain weight. And 
I just couldn't do it without uh, a snack that had a lot of calories in it. Um, and smoothies actually can trick your brain pretty well into getting some calories into your stomach without actually feeling like you're too full, which is why a lot of people gain weight with them. But you can make smoothies with, you know, some of those higher glycemic fruits and some coconut milk with some fat um, and like some collagen and maybe throw some greens in there. That would be great. Um, the other thing I might think is like digestion, you know, if her digestion isn't great, things could be moving through too quick and she might not actually be accessing those nutrients. So, you know, troubleshooting, maybe a reason for, um, digestive issues. Yeah, maybe even starting as simple as food hygiene, like sitting down and having a very restful environment while you eat, chewing very, very thoroughly, taking time to kind of concentrate on your food, the textures, the tastes, the smells, you know, just starting as simple as that and seeing if it uh, causes any changes. I've even recently um, experimented with this with my husband. And even after five years of having me living in his house, he has been shocked at how much it's making a difference to take time for that. And it sounds like too, you know, if her hair's growing back, um, she might start thinking about reintroduction soon. And uh, like if um, she's ready and she she wants to start reintroducing food, something like white rice might be something to kind of move up the, the stages um, and maybe try that first because that's a pretty good starchy carb that, um, you know, you can cook it in some bone broth and really cover it with some fat and that might help be like another vehicle for getting some fat into her body. Right. She could even maybe try some butter pretty soon and have another fat option in there. And the nuts and seeds. Yeah. Yep. Congratulations, Tina, on the hair regrowth. We're happy for you. All right, let's see. So we have another question about weight loss. Uh, Mickey Jules asks, I have been doing AIP for two months now and have lost too much weight. I know that adding more starchy veggies will help, but I'm not sure if SIBO is a factor or not. Also, I have some yeast slash bacteria that I am dealing with, so I'm trying to limit starches and sugars. Any advice on this would be great. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, you know, Jules, I think that what's going on is you're restricting too many categories of food in addition to the autoimmune protocol. So it sounds like you're limiting starches and sugars, and those are actually really needed to create energy in your body when you're eating on such a restricted diet. So, um, you know, it sounds like you're not sure if it's SIBO and you maybe know about some yeast and bacteria. Um, the best course of action for someone like you is actually to find a practitioner and get tested for all of these issues that um, that are potentially there um, going online and you know looking at candida symptoms or SIBO symptoms is not good enough um, a lot of these things kind of manifest differently in, in different people um, and you really need to get treated so restricting these starches and sugars in addition to AIP in a lot of cases is not going to make these issues go away you're just going to end up really frustrated with like five foods to eat and you know I'm not surprised that you're losing too much weight. Um, So if SIBO is something you're suspecting, so for those of you guys that SIBO is maybe a new word that uh, stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, um, it's very common with people with autoimmune disease, but not everyone has it. Um, If you suffer from bloating, gas, diarrhea, and or constipation and or alternating um, both, um, you could have SIBO. And so a low FODMAP, so this is uh, fermentable fibers in the diet, um, low FODMAP diet can 
help a lot of people with their symptoms with SIBO because these fibers are, are what the bacteria actually eats. So that's why, you know, you get the bloating and the gas. These are the byproducts of the fermentation um, in your gut. Um, you know, you really need to be tested um, using a breath test. So it's a lactulose breath test. Um, that's the only way that you can tell if you have SIBO. Um, and it needs to be ordered by a licensed practitioner. Um, I actually think that an organic urine organic acids test also can bring up SIBO, but the lactulose breath test, right, Angie, is definitely gold the, standard. the gold standard. Yeah. And then if you have yeast and bacteria, um, what I recommend is a comprehensive stool test. So this is something like, you know, the metametrics or the doctor's data or whatever test your functional doctor orders um, that tests for a variety of yeast, bacteria, and parasites. What these tests will do is they'll tell what strain you have, and then they will actually even test different antimicrobials on the strain that actually came from your sample, and they'll tell what works on it. So your test will come back saying, okay, you have this level of candida, and oregano is going to be the number one tra- treatment for it. Or maybe your your strain is most sensitive to um, you know the over-the-counter or the um, prescription antifungals. So if you're working with a doctor, you can actually get that treatment, you can get the best treatment, and you can hopefully be done with it so that you can start eating these starches that you're going to need to keep weight on your body because uh, it's really, really difficult to do this kind of diet thing long term. Right. Um, And if it turns out that SIBO is, in fact, a a part of her picture, um, kind of in the same vein as the last question, she might consider an early reintroduction of white rice while she limits FODMAPs so that she has a starch source. Um, Right. Yeah. So white rice is tolerable to a lot of people that have SIBO. Not everyone, but, you know, usually it's more tolerable. So that's where, you know, working with someone, we definitely want people to be resolving these gut infections instead of just dieting harder because that does not it won't resolve. Fix it. Yeah. Yeah. So Tales of a Nutrivore has a question about pregnancy. She says, this is awesome. Can't wait for season two. We are excited to uh, bring this to you. Tales mm-hmm. of a Nutrivore. Thank um, you. She wants to know about living well with an autoimmune disease and pregnancy. I know this is such a personal decision, but I'd like to know how different women have handled it. For example, when did they decide it was the right time? Were they in remission or did they still have symptoms? How was their pregnancy and postpartum? Yeah, so this is, like like she says, it is a really personal decision, and I'll just be the first person to be super real about this, and um, for a lot of people, it just happens when it happens. Um, that said, um, deciding when the best time to, to go for it, um, you know, it's, it's really, I wouldn't say that you have to be totally in remission to go for it and, and try to get pregnant, but I think that it is most likely that you'll have a successful pregnancy and easily get pregnant if you're pretty close to remission and in really good health. Um, I think Mickey and I have both had uh, clients at different times who eventually got there, and we also know a lot of AIP bloggers who got to a period of health, and then it just happened quite easily. We kind of had this um, explosion the of baby friends. Boom with yeah we had an explosion of friends a baby boom um with them all kind of getting pregnant at once and and relatively easily because i think they were in good health their body was well nourished and it was easy to have it happen um i don't think that any of those women would say that they were a hundred percent symptom free though um 
I don't know if waiting to be there is realistic in terms of trying to get pregnant. Um, but being in a, a really well-nourished place where your body can easily handle um, the pregnancy is is where you want to be. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, as much as you can plan if, if you want to, I think that, you know, that's going to just make it easier for you. So, you know, working with someone on some preconception nutrition can be really, really helpful because they're there are so many things that, you know, basically the baby is just asking for all of these resources in your body and having an autoimmune disease is very demanding on the body, but then being pregnant and having an autoimmune disease is going to be a little, even more, that much more demanding. So just, I would say even before, if you have the luxury of planning, um, just kind of focusing on that nutrient density and, um, overall general health and just making sure those pieces like, you know, the B12 and the iron, and that you're getting great sources of folate and, and all of that eating a a lot of really good healthy fats a lot um, of organ meat a lot of organ meat um you know the bone broth the collagen and gelatin and all of that stuff i mean you can't go wrong um i mean you can't go wrong at any rate for anyone you know doing that but especially right. someone who's looking to get pregnant well, and I think um, another important thing to keep in mind here is that that preconception nutrition uh, matters to dad just as it matters to mom. Yeah. Um, so making sure that he's eating that same way, you know, like in like uh, ancient cultures, the people who were getting this uh, really prime food were, you know, soon to be moms and dads. So eat up on, on both your parts on those things. Um so as far as how pregnancies and postpartum were, you know, uh, my daughter's 16 and I was unfortunately not part of the AIP world at that time. So I can't really speak from personal experience, but based on what I've seen with uh, friends and clients, um, pregnancies are usually a pretty good period. Um, this is because our immune systems kind of tap down a little bit uh, to make room for that new little uh, person that you're hosting. And that can be really positive with, you know, autoimmune disease that are making our immune systems go so crazy. So pregnancy can often be a really positive time and you can find that, uh, like for instance, your food choices are really expanded. Your body does well with lots of stuff that maybe it didn't normally um, perform so well with. Postpartum, it can be really, really likely that you'll go through a flare. I think a few of our friends went through some flares and I have seen clients go through it. Um, it's really typical for women to experience flares when they are at chain, you know, points in their life where they have big hormonal shifts like postpartum. Well, there, there's more, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, it's not only are you going through crazy hormonal shift, your body is like completely depleted. You're not getting any sleep, <laughs> you know, and, and you're going through this right. emotional experience of just bringing a baby into the world. Like it's kind of the perfect storm for, um, for a flare. But that said, yeah, I think I think it's possible to kind of um, foresee that coming and plan as best you can for that. Really focusing again, uh, you know, after delivery on your nutrient density, doing the best you can in terms of sleep, getting a lot of support around you with that new little one to just try to offset some of the stress of caring for an infant. Those kind of things could help you minimize the possibility of a flare. Yeah, and I've worked with a couple clients here where, um, you know, once they were pregnant, they felt really great and they had some reintros and, you know, they were on kind of a pretty expanded AIP template and kind of feeling awesome. 
But I told them, you know, after they gave birth that we needed to kind of check in and be vigilant. They needed to go back to their doctor, get their hormones tested, especially one client I had with Hashimoto's, um, and just make sure that all of their levels were okay. You know, with thyroid conditions, a lot of us with Hashis, um, after they have babies, uh, the thyroid kind of takes a little while to get kind of jump started again and sometimes that medication need can be a little bit higher sometimes even during pregnancy so it's important that you know if you have a thyroid condition you make sure that you're kind of monitoring your thyroid care um, even in the conventional system for anyone having a baby they're pretty attuned to checking the thyroid after birth just because that's a really common time for things to pop up but it is important to even be assertive and get some of the further testing because you know, as we know, the conventional system is not that great at kind of thoroughly testing and taking all the things into consideration. So, um, so that's what I would say. And, you know, I have had a couple Hashi's clients go through this postpartum phase, um, you know, with minimal hiccups, like, yeah, they're going to be tired and, you know, they're going to have to go back to maybe a more restricted elimination type diet um, until they get back on their feet. They're going to have to be really vigilant about, um, trying to manage that stress, trying to get sleep when they can, but some of it is just going to be a difficult time because, you know, that's what having a baby is like, you know? Yep. But then you have a baby, so. (laughs) Then you have a cute baby. (laughs) That makes most people happy. It makes most people happy. Yep. Okay. Let's see. Uh, We have some macronutrient questions. Uh, Sabrahoff, I hope I'm saying that right, says, I am following AIP, but have had a few slips over the holidays for for which I've paid dearly. My question is, how can I get enough protein while cutting down a lot on meat? I'm not sure that meat isn't a little of a trigger for me. I have psoriatic arthritis, so they say. What do you think, Mickey? Yeah, so I would say that it's not uh, impossible that someone is sensitive to meat, but I would say it's a little bit more of an unusual sensitivity. So um, meat intolerance or sensitivity usually comes up on food sensitivity tests, which we don't love as a way to figure out what you're sensitive to. Really, the gold standard is food elimination and reintroduction. Um, so in the beginning for most people, I would say, you know, don't worry too much about specific meats being triggers, unless you have personal experience, like, you know, you're allergic to shellfish, for example. Um, that is definitely not what I'm talking about. Um, but you know, there is kind of a misconception that paleo and even the autoimmune protocol is a very meat centric protocol. And the truth is that there is kind of a wide variety and, reasons why maybe you would want to eat a little less meat or a little more meat than normal. Um, I consider normal maybe three to five ounces at every meal. Um, And, you know, that varies person to person depending on the situation. So, you know, some people have kidney disease where, you know, higher protein content is actually going to cause them harm and they work with dietitians and they get that protein requirements down and they prefer sources of protein that are actually higher in nutrient density like organ meat because if they're not eating as much protein, um, they're still getting as many nutrients as they would be if they were eating a higher volume, if that makes sense. And then some people might eat more protein if they have, um, you know, a lot of repair that's going on in their bodies. Maybe even if they're doing some athletic endeavors, um, you might need a little protein there. Maybe if they're pregnant, you know, um, and then other people might eat more or less meat because of personal reasons. So 
Um, when I actually transitioned to the autoimmune protocol, I had been vegan for 10 years and my nutrient deficiencies, I think were a lot more severe than most people that come to this protocol. So I actually ate a lot of meat at that point in my journey because it felt very nourishing to me. Um, I believe I was very depleted in, in nutrients and I was craving it. And so I especially was eating a lot of organ meat, a lot of fish. Um, of course, we know that those are the most nutrient dense sources of meat. Um, but then over time, I kind of started, you know, dropping meat at some meals. And now I, I eat meat for breakfast and dinner almost always. But lunch is kind of optional. If there's meat, great. If there isn't, I have a salad. I'm okay with that. Um, so, you know, you don't have to eat a ton of meat if you don't want to. And I would say if you're on the, the side of the spectrum for whatever reason that you're eating less meat, just make sure that the meat you eat is nutrient dense. So, you know, for instance, you're not just eating chicken, you know, you're eating some red meat, you're eating some organ meat, you're eating some fish, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're having trouble, you know, especially in the beginning, if you're transitioning from a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet, if you're having trouble digesting the protein, you might try starting with a lot of fish because fish is the easiest protein to digest. Yeah. And also supporting that uh, hydrochloric acid, you know, that acidity, that's something that I had to do. A lot of vegetarians say, oh, I can't digest meat. It doesn't feel good. Well, actually the nutrients that you need to digest meat are contained in meat. So it's a cycle, you know, that B1 and that zinc. If you're deficient in those nutrients, then your body can't make hydrochloric acid, which is needed to digest protein. So of course they don't feel good. Um, A supplement might help there or just a little vinegar before meals or something like that. Right. Support the stomach acid. So Ashley Runner says, hi, ladies, I have celiac disease and type one diabetes. I'm on my second week and I've noticed such a change in the amount of energy I have. Yay. Um, My question is about recommendations for easy 15 to 20 carb snacks. I can keep in my bag for when I have a low. Thank you. Yeah. So as type one diabetic, um, you have some special needs here, Ashley, and I'm sure you're probably already pretty aware of it. But um, if we're talking about like emergency needs, uh, then you're going to want to have things like uh, some dried fruit, you know, fruit leather, things like that. Um, Real high sugar, like a date, you know, something that's really Yeah, honey sticks, something that's really high sugar and really fast to absorb. If you're looking for something that's like a little more like you're kind of out and about for the day and you're noticing that your sugar is getting low slowly over time, you want to focus on those carb snacks. Um, the, the like number one thing that comes to my mind is some sweet potato chips carrying around, you know, a little bag of those or, um, some plantain chips, something that's really easy and, um, you know, pretty palatable, goes down pretty quick. That's maybe what would be my go-to source. Do you have any other ideas, Mickey? Yeah. Artisan Tropic has, um, cassava chips oh, yeah, cassava. and, uh, taro chips. So th- there's a few options. You probably would get sick of, uh, you know, just doing one, like the sweet potatoes. Those, those sweet potatoes are actually the least favorite for me of all of them, but I yeah, know people really too. like them a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I would recommend too. just something a little bit in the starchier category than the sweeter category, because, you know, um, probably better than we do that, you know, if you just eat sugar, then it goes up and then down again. So you need something to kind of like stoke that flame a little bit longer. If you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of where you're at, like maybe you're at the office during the day or something like that, I actually might try having like half of a baked sweet potato hanging around with um, maybe some coconut butter or coconut oil so that you get those carbs you need to bring it up a little bit, but it's a little cushioned by that fat. Yep. Agree. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Oh, 
Nikki, I better ask you this question. Everybody's favorite. Uh, she, 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 she's GF. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with these Instagram, Instagram handles. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, she said, I love season one. Thank you. What should I replace coffee with? I enjoy herbal tea, but are there any that are preferred or should be avoided on AIP? Mickey, do you have some coffee thoughts for us? Yes. So the ex Seattle barista who used to be terribly addicted to both caffeine and the ritual of drinking coffee every day. I'm the expert in this department. Um, So here is my list of things uh, to drink instead of coffee. Um, The first one is actually a recent recipe that I posted on the blog. You guys can find it at autoimmunewellness.com. Go to the search bar and type uh, chicory coffee or dandelion coffee. Um, This is a blend of dandelion and chicory root, which are both herbs or actually the root of herb plants. And they make this incredible coffee-like alternative. So these bits of of these roots are roasted. They have a really similar bitterness and acidity to coffee. Um, There's no caffeine. And they actually um, have properties that aid in liver detox. So there's another reason why they're awesome. Um, I like to steep it in a French press or a tea ball. um, And also add some coconut oil and blend it in a blender to make it kind of bulletproof style. Kind of tastes like a latte. Super delicious. Um, Obviously, there's tea. You know, some caffeine-free alternatives include rooibos, chamomile, peppermint, licorice. Um, Those are pretty standard. Um, Bone broth. You know, if you want something warm and uh, and nutrient-dense in the morning, um, not everyone can get behind the flavor, but... I sometimes will take a little bit of my bone broth batch, say that 10 times fast, (laughs) um, and cook it, simmer it for maybe like 30 minutes with some veggie scraps. So like onion peels, garlic peels, little tops of carrots or anything like that. Um, it'll give it kind of like a vegetable-y flavor. And then I add some sea salt to taste. Um, sometimes even like a squeeze of lemon tastes really great to uh, drink straight up. Um, you can make a lemon ginger infusion. So this is something just, you know, have some fresh ginger on hand, cut it into some medallions, add a squeeze of lemon and some hot water. Super delicious. Um, if you want a little bit of a sweeter beverage, which I would recommend only maybe like on the weekends or for special occasions, because this is probably going to spike your blood sugar too much for every day, but you can make coconut milk chai nattes. So um, I have a recipe for this in my autoimmune paleo cookbook. Um, also in my article online, I have a link to a pumpkin spice natte that, um, is floating around the internet. And this is just, you know, coconut milk and some AAP proof spices, a little bit of coconut sugar, super tasty. And then lastly, if you don't want to drink something warm, if you're okay, you know, drinking something cold in the morning might be better in the summer. You could try some probiotic drinks. So something like kombucha, water kefir, beet kvass, etc. Nice list. And ladies, uh, that coffee replacement that Mickey mentioned um, that is so great at, you know, also aiding with a little bit of liver detox. If you find that you're somebody that's having signs of like, uh, you know, excess estrogen close to your cycles, things like breast tenderness and pain, um, maybe a little bit of acne, maybe even a little bit of, you know, mood stuff going on. um, Trust me, if you drink this drink almost every day leading up, you will feel so much better. I know this from personal experience. Yeah, it's actually kind of like a a little wonder drink. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. I guess uh, we're pretty much out of time for answering questions today. Thanks to everyone for submitting. We hope you guys learned a lot over the course of this episode. We're trying to jam pack these with info. Have a great day, everyone. And we will see you next week with a personal interview. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We're honored to have you as a listener, and we hope that you've gained some useful information. You can learn more about the topic we explored today. It's covered in detail in our book, The Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, along with handy self-assessments, checklists, and other useful resources to put your plan into action. Pick up a copy today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes as this helps others find us. You can also connect with us through our blog, autoimmune-paleo.com, and with the community by using the hashtag autoimmunewellness.